Our scripture lesson this morning is found in the Gospel of Luke, the ninth chapter, beginning with the 28th verse. Some eight days after these sayings, he took along Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him and they were Moses and Elijah, who appearing in glory were speaking of his departure which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. While he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, the other, th other two Gospels that uh, give this account of the transfiguration don't say anything about prayer. And, uh, and, and, but Luke makes it clear that the purpose for this trip up onto the mountain was to pray. He was going to pray, and he took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he took them with him because they were his, uh, his disciples, and he was mentoring them, he was training them. And one of the ways that a good teacher mentors and trains is by example. And so he took them up there with him, so they could see how important it was to pray. To Jesus, prayer was important. And the closer he gets to the crucifixion, it seems like the more we see him in prayer. And so he's already told his disciples that he is going to be going to the cross. They're going to Jerusalem and he is going to be killed there. He's told them that. And we've talked well, just recently about how we have to train our souls. That, uh, uh, and, and Jesus said at one point, the spirit is willing, but the soul, but the flesh is weak. And the flesh is another name for our soul. Our soul has to be trained. Our spirit comes alive when we're born again. But we've learned bad habits and our souls have a lot of things that need to be unlearned and our souls are tied to the world in a way that our spirit is not. And so we spend the rest of our lives after we're born again 
training our souls to handle things the way the Lord wants them handled, not the way that we feel and think that they should be handled. And so uh, he prayed. And what he was praying about, I'm sure, and it becomes clear, about his purpose. His purpose was to go to the cross. His purpose was to take the penalty for our sins upon himself. Now, we all have a purpose as well. Some of you may not feel like you do anymore. Maybe some of you felt like you uh, had a purpose at one point in life, but that purpose is now behind you. You know, I, I heard it said one time that men spend the first time, the first third of their lives trying to figure out who they are, the second third uh, being who they think they're supposed to be, and the third third uh, remembering and telling everybody who they used to be. <laughs> but the thing is, well, no matter how old you are, you still have a purpose. And no matter what position the Lord has you in, you have a purpose. And uh, no matter what your job is, uh, no matter whether you're uh, uh, a stay-at-home mom or an executive in a large company, you have a purpose in the Lord. And wherever you are, we're told to do what the what is before us as unto the Lord. Uh, it's what the Lord has you doing right now. And so, uh, and I, I remember my my, well, we have a friend, and I've shared this with you before. She was a, a stay-at-home mom, and she just didn't feel like she was doing what the Lord wanted her to do. And she kept wanting to have a big ministry. And, uh, and, and she knew that she was supposed to be ministering in some way, but she did the right thing. She prayed about it. And what the Lord had her do was not to go out and try to drum up and rev up a big ministry. What he had her do was tie a scarf on her head and put on an apron and grab a mop bucket and some mops and some cleaning supplies and a broom and to find some harried housewife or mom that was going crazy because of the kids running around and couldn't get anything done and just knock on the door and say, hi, I'm God's gift to you for the day. I'm going to clean your house. Now, a lot of you women, that would scare you to death if they somebody just showed up because I know a lot of, I know several women that clean their house before the house cleaner comes. I mean, it's like, I don't understand that. But uh, the thing is, I'm not naming names. But uh, there are those people that want to make sure the house is in order before they'll let the house cleaner in. So, but anyway, but that's where she started. And then the next thing you know, she was mother of the year in Dallas. And then she wound up with her big international ministry. But you start where you are doing what you got with what you have. And you do it as unto the Lord. And that's your purpose at the moment. And the thing is, you're supposed to be praying. We see from this, if Jesus had to pray about his purpose, don't you think we need to pray about ours to make sure we're doing it the right way? How many wives and how many husbands are trying to be good husbands and good wives on their own without seeking the Lord's guidance as to how to do it? 
And many times, uh, gosh, I spend years and years in counseling and in marriage counseling. I don't know how many times I've had couples come in where what they had been doing was trying to get from each other what they felt they needed instead of trying to explore each other and find out what the other person felt they needed and to the best of their ability, try to supply that to the the one that they love. If you do that, you both get your needs met. But if you're just trying to get your needs met by the other person, you're just using that person. And that's not love. And so uh, anyway, but there's so many times that whenever you pray about the situation, the very thing that the Lord has you do is going to be almost the opposite of what you would do if you just did it out of your own thought and your own way of doing it. So uh, the thing is, he prayed. And whenever he prayed, it says he was transfigured. His appearance changed. He looked different. So in this, anyway, it says that he was changed. And whenever we pray, when we truly draw near to the Lord and he draws near to us, we can't help but change. As we listen to him, as we take in what his purpose is in us, we're going to change. We're going to be different. Jesus was transfigured as he prayed and we are transformed as we pray. We don't leave his presence the same as where we went in. As he drew near to God, his heavenly father drew near to him, encouraging him, strengthening him, and confirming that he was on the right path. And uh, if Jesus needed that, don't you think we need it too? And some of you, are facing tremendous hardships. Some of you are going through tough stuff right now in your lives. You know, all of a sudden, Sharon and I, uh, we have friends and relatives all around us who've lost their jobs. Uh, Others who are facing big health issues. Others who are living in fear for different reasons and others that are facing one frustrating thing after another in their lives. Maybe some of the things I've mentioned are touching you or maybe you're facing some other hardship or challenge that I haven't even mentioned. You may feel that uh, you have no time to pray because you're so busy taking care of a putting out all the little brush fires and everything that are going on and doing all the things that you need to do that you don't think you really have time to pray, but you do, you do. And you need the Lord's help just as much as Jesus needed his help, if not more. Now, if there was, now the thing is, it may seem hard, But we need to take time. We need to take time to be holy. What's the song say? Take time to be holy. Speak off with the Lord. Yeah. Let me uh, give you an example. If there was ever anyone who could justify not taking time to pray, it was Susanna Wesley, the mother of the founder of our denomination, John Wesley. Susanna Wesley was a preacher's wife. Her 
husband's name was Samuel Wesley. Now they had a total of 19 children. 10 of those children uh, survived to adulthood. Now, two of these grew up to bring millions of souls to Jesus Christ, and that would be John and Charles Wesley. And that's a powerful story if you stop right there, isn't it? But just like Paul Harvey, I want to give you the rest of the story this morning because you'll be surprised at the rest of the story. Behind the door of her home, hopeless conditions were the norm. She married a man who couldn't manage money. They disagreed on everything from money to politics. As I said, they had a total of 19 children, uh, nine of whom died in infancy. Samuel, her husband, uh, left her to raise children alone, her children alone, for long periods of time. And this was sometimes over something as simple as an argument. One of their children was disabled. Another of their children couldn't talk until he was nearly six years old. Susanna herself was desperately sick most of her life. There was no money for food or anything else, and debt was a plague to them. In fact, Samuel was once thrown into debtor's prison because their debt was so high, and that just doubled their problems. Twice, the homes they lived in were burned to the ground, and they lost everything that they owned. And it was assumed that their church members did it because they were so mad at what Samuel Wesley had preached from the pulpit. Someone slit their cow's udders so they wouldn't have milk, killed their dog, and burned their flax field. You know, I've told you in the past that sometimes the sheep bite. Yeah, that's not a new thing. They were biting back then as well. When Susanna was young, she promised the Lord that for every hour she spent in entertainment, she would give one to him in prayer and the word. But taking care of the house and raising so many kids made this commitment nearly impossible for her to fulfill. She had no time for entertainment or long hours of prayer. She worked the garden, she milked the cow, she schooled the children and managed uh, the entire house by herself. And so she decided instead to give the Lord two hours a day in prayer, no matter what, no matter whether things were going crazy around her or not, two hours she was giving to him. And you can imagine she struggled to find a way to do that. And so this is how she found to get away with him. She trained her children that when they saw her with her apron pulled up over her head, that meant that she was in prayer and she could not be disturbed. And she was devoted to her walk with Christ, praying for her children and uh, knowledge of the word, no matter how hard life was for her. One of her daughters got pregnant out of wedlock and the man never married her. 
She was devastated, but she remained steadfast in prayer for her daughter. In the end, she knew that uh, one day her hard life would be over and she alone would stand before the throne of God and give an account of how she had lived her life. And she wanted to live it the way that he wanted it lived. And so she consulted with him daily about how to go about that. You see, we can be the best mom, the best father, the best wife, the best husband, the best friend, the best person in the world, and still have untold hardships. We need to take Susanna's example and in some way find a way to flip our apron over our head and to pray right in the middle of it all. Her sons, John and Charles Wesley, were powerhouses for the glory of the Lord. John Wesley preached to nearly a million people in his day. At the age of 70, he delivered the gospel message of salvation to 32,000 people without the use of a microphone. That's one of the reasons why I like being here in this church. We don't have a microphone. I've spent years in front of microphones and dealing with sound tech stuff and all. And uh, it's just so wonderful to do it the way the Lord meant for it to be done. You know, I mean, this is this is good. Uh, he brought revival everywhere he traveled. His brother Charles wrote over 9,000 hymns, and many of which we still sing today. Now, Jesus took... Peter and James and John along with him so that they could all learn from his example. And this is the lesson. We all have to take time to pray. That's the lesson. Let me share with you what uh, James and Peter took away from that moment and went on and want to pass on to you today. In James, the epistle of James, the fourth uh, chapter, the 10th verse, James says, humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. You know, that sounds like it's some sort of, uh, uh, sometimes it sounds just the opposite of what it is. Whenever you humble yourself before the Lord, that's whenever you're saying, Lord, I can't handle this stuff. It's too much for me. It's not a matter of just saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get on my knees now and then God's going to exalt me. No, it's coming before the Lord humbly and admitting that you need him and he will raise you up. Let me tell you, no matter how low you're feeling today, if you'll admit it to the Lord, he can raise you up. If he can raise Jesus Christ from the dead, he can raise you up out of the problem that you may think is impossible that you're in the middle of right now. Now then, uh, yeah, I've told you before, the Lord, if you're the Lord's, whatever you're facing, he has brought you to it. And if he's brought you to it, he's going to see you through it. But you need to stay in prayer and stay on track with him. Now then, 
Peter, in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, shares these words with us. And some of these are especially for you this morning. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now then, let's go back. Remember, humbling yourselves is falling on your knees and saying, God, I need your help. I can't handle this. I need you. That's humbling yourself. And uh, under the mighty hand of God, remember who you're humbling yourself before. He is mighty. He's the mighty God. And so you're bowing. You are uh, humbling yourself. You're swallowing your pride and saying, Lord, I can't handle this before the one who can more than handle it. And then what does it say there? That he may exalt you, that he will be allowed to raise you up, pull you up out of whatever mire you find yourself in at the proper time. His timing. Sometimes we've tried to force God to hurry up and get stuff done. That's what happened to Abraham and I and uh, uh, Sarah. And that's why Ishmael came along. They didn't really pray about it. They knew what God wanted them to do. They knew that God had a plan for them. And then they tried to force God's plan instead of consulting with him about his plan. And really, they wound up developing their own. And that's whenever we mess up. And so we humble ourselves before him. And now listen to the last part, casting all your anxiety, all your worries, all your frustration, all your fear, all those things that you're so concerned about, so frustrated about, casting all your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. If you didn't know that before today, it's right here in black and white in the Bible. He cares for you. This mighty God cares for you and he wants you to admit that you need him and then ask him for help. And then he's more than happy to help you. Why? Because he cares for you. Let's say that together. He cares for you. Now let's change it because you see, we need to realize he cares for me. So let's say that out loud together. He cares for me. Yes, he does. He cares for you. Even though Jesus was facing the cross, he knew his heavenly father cared for him and was going to get him through to the other side. At the end of this prayer time, our father in heaven spoke. And this is what he said in the King James. He says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. At the end of your prayer time, the Lord in some way is going to remind you that he loves you, that you are his beloved son, you are his beloved daughter. When you get alone in prayer and the Lord draws near at the end of that time, 
you will leave knowing that you are loved and walking in his authority because you're on the path that he wants you on. Brothers and sisters, it just doesn't get any better than that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.